Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask, Lord, that your word would be deposited in our hearts today, Lord Jesus. That your word would challenge us, encourage us, and strengthen us. And that in all things that are spoken, you would be glorified. And Lord, as always, whatever is of me and my own frail human wisdom, may it fall to the floor. And what is of you and what is good and pure and right, may it stick in our hearts and our minds this morning. I pray in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Our entire belief hangs on those words, Jesus is Lord. And while we can add a lot to it, there's certainly much we can expand on that, I don't think there's any less we could say than Jesus is Lord. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And we recently saw two young ladies last month profess those words, Michaela and Reba, profess those words, Jesus is Lord, and then enter into baptism over at Arbutus Cove and at Gyro Beach. And what a wonderful time it was to share that with them and to encourage them in that. Jesus is Lord. They are, the, they are the words that each Christian shares, first as confession, and then as proclamation. Jesus as Lord is first shared as on our knees, so to speak, in confession, and then they are shared again on our feet as we take those words out into the mission field. Loved having you guys up here this morning. That is a kingdom Holy Spirit moment where I've prepared this word not knowing that you guys were here or that necessarily that's what you'd be speaking of, that's for sure. So, wow. Thank you, Lord. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. So pay attention, everyone. When things like that happen, we're not designing that. Someone else much better at that is. So praise the Lord. Lord, give us ears to hear this morning. Jesus is Lord. Last week, Travis asked the question, why do we preach? Why do we keep diving into the Word of God? Why do we keep exploring it so much? And to kind of wrap it all up in a sentence or two, he's, he said, in order for us to effectively walk and work in the model of Jesus, we have to be shaped as Jesus was shaped. And the Word is what equips us to do that. It is the Word of God that equips us to walk as Jesus walked. Very important. What I would like to do is take that a step further this morning and say, As Christians, God's word has been placed within us. And certainly if Christ is the capital W, word of God, and Jesus is living, dwelling within us through the power of the Holy Spirit, then God's word is within us. And this idea of the word within us speaks to the idea that God's word becomes a part of us. The Bible uses the symbolism of it being ingested, as we just read in Ezekiel. God gives us his word, and he says, take it and eat it. This happens in in a few different places, Isaiah and Jeremiah and and Revelation 10 and, and what we just read in Ezekiel. The word is given to us to be taken and eaten, 
This idea that like all vital things that we need to receive from the good foods that we eat that strengthen us and, 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 and help us to grow, the Word of God does the same. It strengthens us. It helps us to grow. It teaches us. It equips us. And, and sometimes the Word is, is called the Word of Life. Jesus, the word of life. Jesus, the bread of life. We've been given this bread, this, this freshly baked loaf of bread that smells so good, tastes so good, and we've been given it to share. We don't hoard it all to ourselves. We have a world out there that is starving for it. And whether they love it or hate it, they're starving for it. And so it is up to us to share that word to take it and spread it around. And so God's word within us is to be shared with the world around us, a world that needs to hear that proclamation, Jesus is Lord. Now this idea of God's word being placed within us is like food to the stomach is found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, as we were just talking about. In the Old Testament, one person specifically comes to mind that received God's word in this way, and that is Ezekiel. As we just read, Ezekiel 3, verses 1 to 2, And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Now, Ezekiel's experience is actually a little more exciting than just that. A lot is happening, and I would like to go through it together this morning. So if you have your Bible, open up to Ezekiel. I think we're going to start at chapter 1, verses uh, 25. Ezekiel was a priest. He was living in captivity in Babylon. One day, he's hanging out by the river. And all of a sudden it says that the heavens were opened and he had visions of God. Don't you love it when that happens when you're hanging out on the bank of the river and all of a sudden the heavens open and we have visions of God. And this is what occurs with Ezekiel. And he sees some incredible, amazing things. Things that look like fire. Things that look like creatures with four wings and four faces. Faces of a man and an ox and a lion and an eagle. He sees things that look like wheels within wheels moving around, and they're all kind of moving in unison. And he hears a sound like rushing waters. And you get the idea that Ezekiel is just overawed with what he is seeing, and he's trying really, really hard, God bless him, to put it into words. And that's all he can do. And so as we read through, and, and when you have time, start at the beginning of chapter 1 and start going through it. And you think, what does all of this mean? I don't think we need to worry about what it means. I think the word is inviting us to be as odd as Ezekiel and go, isn't that incredible? Isn't God awesome? So here's Ezekiel seeing all these things. And starting at verse 25, it says, Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. These are the, the creatures that he sees flying around. Above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. 
Here's Ezekiel trying so hard to share. It looks like a man on a throne and swaths of color kind of surrounding him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And this is where God gives what sounds like at the beginning, one of the worst pep talks in, in, of all time. This is, this is really going to encourage you, Ezekiel. Here we go. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You get the idea that God's trying to get something across to Ezekiel here. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are, did I mention it yet, Ezekiel, rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. What? And then I looked, and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll, which he unrolled before me. And on both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. Ezekiel, here are some people that are somewhat rebellious, is what I'm trying to get across to you. And here's a message I'd love for you to give them, one of lament and woe. All right, are we excited yet, Ezekiel? And he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat the scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And then he said to me, son of man, eat the scroll I am giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. What happened to you the last time you were on the banks of the river? Did you get a word like that? This sounds like the worst pep talk ever. Yet Ezekiel has seen God's glory. This is all prefaced by overwhelming him with God's glory and his power. And even before he speaks to him, he strengthens Ezekiel through his Holy Spirit. And so no matter what the message is that Ezekiel has been given, and no matter how obstinate and stubborn and, yes, somewhat rebellious the people are that he's been asked to go to, I think Ezekiel knows power. I think Ezekiel knows who's really in charge. And I think Ezekiel knows who's got his back. Amen? And he would need this. 
Now, in the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 10, we get another example of someone who's been given a scroll to eat, God's word to be placed within them. And I'm not going to read the entire thing because this is Revelation. It takes a lot of backstory and it takes a lot to kind of understand. As soon as we get into Revelation, we start thinking certain ways. But I want to just point out something. John, who is on the island of Patmos, has also seen some incredibly amazing things, including describing a throne room with someone on a throne, swaths and colors around him, a rainbow. Very cool. And now he has seen these angels opening up these seals, and one of them opens up a seal and is pouring wrath out onto the earth. It says a third of mankind is wiped out. A third of mankind was killed. I'm reading in chapter 9, starting in verse 18. We're not going to read a ton, so don't feel you've got to change. But a third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. Cheery stuff. The power of the horse was in their ma- horses was in their mouths and in their tails. These are all the creatures and things that are pouring this wrath out. For their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. Now, this all takes place, and then it says in verse 20, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, the idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So again, John gets a wonderful audience with which to take this word to. Now, as John is taking this all in, an angel comes before him with another scroll, and he asks if he can see it. And this is what the angel says. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. There's that sweetness again, just as Ezekiel experienced when he ate the scroll. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Okay. Now we look at John's audience. We look at these people who, even in the midst of God's wrath, still have not turned from their wickedness. And we might look at this audience and with all the righteous judgment that we can muster, we might say, now there's a hell-bunt bunch of heathens. Forgive my language. When I look out in the world, the world, when I look outside of these four walls, I don't see a hell-bent bunch of heathens. I do see people who are desperate for true goodness, who are desperate for truth, who are desperate for something very substantial, very tangible that they can hold on to in a world that appears to be crumbling all around us. I see people who are confused. I see people who are hurting. And I see people who are desperate for the word of life in their lives. This is our world around us filled with good people who need to know the greater goodness of God's word in their lives. And this is where the sweetness and the bitterness comes into play. The sweetness and the bitterness that John experienced when he ate the scroll, sweet to his mouth, bitter in his stomach. 
The scroll in John's stomach, the sweetness and the bitterness is reflective of the words acceptance and the words rejection. The joys of sharing that Jesus is Lord and the bitterness of its rejection. The joys of having the word of life, this word of life that is working within us and transforming us and getting to share it with those around us and the bitterness of people saying no. Sometimes not just no, but throwing it down in our faces and maybe spitting on it. Eugene Peterson, in his wonderful book, Reverse Thunder, wrote, No biblical witness that we know of, not Moses, not Elijah, not John the Baptist, not our Lord Jesus himself, is unacquainted with the bitterness. Every witness experiences the polarity of sweetness and bitterness. I once met with someone for the better part of a year, a wonderful person. We shared the word together. We got together and we had wonderful times of Bible study. We had wonderful times of prayer. We got together regularly. I began to see their lives transformed by the gospel. I began to see them acting as Christ. And then all of a sudden, rejection. Out of the blue, absolute rejection of God's word and also of me. And I came away from there absolutely flabbergasted. What happened? What occurred to make this? Was it me? Did I do something? Was it something that I said? And about two weeks later, I read Eugene Peterson's book. And when I got to this part, about the sweetness and the bitterness, it all drove it home. Yes. Yes, now I get it. The sweetness of sharing God's word of something so good something so wonderful, and then the bitterness we experience in the pit of our stomach when all of a sudden it is rejected. Yet John is told to keep speaking the word. At the end in verse 11, it says, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. John doesn't get let off because he had this one bad experience. He is told once again to go speak the word. And so with hurting heart or slighted spirit, and yes, sometimes a bruised ego, that part's not so bad, (laughs) we are asked to continue in our witness. We are asked to continue because we need to remember it's not by our power that the word is successful but by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Although there are some things I think we can do that do not help (laughs) in witness. If we see people as projects rather than people, we're going to wind up in a pretty bad place pretty quickly. People are very smart. Did you know that? People can tell when you're not really interested in them. When you treat them as a project, people get that very, very quickly. We need to stop doing that, church. Sometimes telling too much, too quickly, too soon is not going to help. Numerous times we see Jesus saying, don't go and tell somebody what you've just seen, what you've just seen occur. Don't go say anything yet. People aren't ready for it. How often do we listen before we speak to people when we share? How often do we really want to get to know where they're coming from, what they've experienced, what's going on in their lives before we launch into the ABCs of the Christian witness, whatever that is? Sometimes telling too much too quickly will also bring us into a a hard place. 
But likewise, sometimes blaming ourselves for a witness, so to speak, gone wrong is just as harmful. We are called to give a faithful witness, a faithful account of what God has done in our lives. That is it. We must lose our fear of witness and be sure to witness out of love, trusting the Holy Spirit to do something incredible with our stories, to take those words and make them do so much more. And if you don't believe that Jesus can do that with your story, you think, well, my story is not that exciting. He can't do much with what I have. Go hang out with Jesus one day for dinner and let him take you out for fish and bread and see what he does. Amen? See what he does with the ordinary and how he makes it extraordinary. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Colin, man, you've got some sharp knives, don't you? I've seen some of those carving knives. How much effort does it take to use those when they're nice and sharp? Not much. Amen. The sharper a blade is, the less effort you need to give it as you cut something. As we witness to people, I don't know if our primary goal should be conversion. Hmm, Travis says. Hmm. I'm glad you are. I don't know if our primary goal should be conversion. I think it should be our primary hope. I think it should be our primary prayer. But I wonder, is the primary goal is to be a faithful witness, again, sharing our stories and remembering that God's word in itself is sharp. Let it do the work for you. We give a faithful account to Christ at work in our lives, and as we do so, we let the Holy Spirit, again, take that account and do something amazing with it. And whether the result is sweetness or bitterness, we must continue to witness but we don't have to continue alone. What does witness look like as a church? Often when we talk about witness, we talk about our individual stories. We talk about one-on-one. And I think that's necessary. I think that's important. But what does it look like as a church? As a church, we come together to hear the words of life spoken. And again, we feast on them that we might grow stronger in Christ. Now, you've heard that you are what you eat. Why do we not continue a steady diet on God's word? Why is it always so hard? And yet it is. And yet so important. So we continue in the word. So that Jesus is Lord is not only on our lips, but in our very lives. For Scripture encourages us to move from belief into action, and we all know that words backed with action are going to be twice as powerful. Amen? And so while I believe that we are called to individually give a reason for the hope that we have, I also believe that the testimony of two or three or approximately 150, maybe a little less this morning, it's a long weekend, but the testimony of so many together is far more powerful. At the retreat a few weeks ago, Lynn Anderson, who was speaking, talked about Operation Everybody. Do you guys remember that, you you who were there? He talked about Operation Everybody. He talked about how everybody has a gift. 
within the church, within the body of Christ. We all have these gifts, and we all have ways with which we get to share these. And he shared the story about how someone was giving somebody a ride one day, um, somebody who didn't know the Lord. And as they're in the car, conversation comes up, and, and the person learns that the person giving the ride goes to church. And they begin asking all these kinds of questions. And the person realizes, okay, I've got my, my story to tell, and I'm telling it. But I know that the person at church, this person that I know, Joey Jojo, whatever their name is, they have the gift of evangelism. They have the gift to really draw people in to the Word of God. We all have a word to share, but there are some that just have that gifting, that just have that ability to really bring people in and say, here's who God is. And so I know this person has the gift of evangelism. I've got to introduce them to this person. And then as they do so, they say, now I know that this person over here has the gifting of hospitality. They're great at providing an environment that is low-key and relaxed, and there's good food and drink involved, and what a great place to learn about the Lord. And, and you see what he's starting to get at. All these different giftings that people have, that if we start to work together in that way, how powerful our witness becomes. How powerful God's word becomes as we all share it together and show this picture of what it looks like. He's describing a church equipped to use their gifts. And I know that that is something that, coming out of that retreat, we've been really challenged to want to do, to equip you, church, to use your gifts. You remember, uh, it was about three years ago this July. Do you remember the sermon I gave about three years ago, come July? Um, do you remember there was a little piece of colored paper in the bulletins and I asked everybody to write something that they were good at down on? Do you remember those? Anybody? And at the end, we had a big stack of papers. In fact, I think I did a confetti throw and all landed over Doug, who used to sit right at the front there. Um, I think he loved that. I wish I had those papers. I lost them. I can't find them. Forgive me, church. I don't know what you're good at anymore. No. <laughs> I know what many of you are good at. There was every different kind of gift on there. I'm good at talking with people. I'm good at cooking. I'm good at sewing. I'm good at playing the inst this instrument or whatever. I I I'm good with numbers. I'm good with this and with that and with this and with that. And oh my goodness, every one of those is an opportunity to share your gift as a part of your witness to the world around you. And how many of those could have been combined to work together? Maybe we need to do this again. Imagine all our gifts at work presenting the power of Christ working in us. And through all these things, our witness models our faith. God's words through our actions and abilities, declaring, yes, Jesus is Lord. And so as we do so, church, as we share together, we will experience at times the sweetness of the word's acceptance. And we will rejoice. And we will rejoice at seeing the word of God, the word of life, at work in somebody and we will rejoice at seeing that life continue to be transformed into a life that looks like Christ. And as we continue to share together, we will experience times where we do experience the bitterness of its rejection. And we will surround each other, and we will love and encourage each other, and again, we will rejoice 
we have just entered into a long line of people who have also experienced that. Just about any of them in here, from Jesus, all of his disciples, that's okay. We will rejoice that his word will be glorified, that God will be glorified no matter what, for Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, church. Jesus is Lord. He is our rock, and he is our redeemer. And he is very much at work in our lives today and in the lives of those around us. And so I encourage you this morning, church, to give that witness, to have courage to do so. Many ways that we can do so. If you, if you don't know what that looks like, I don't even know where to begin to share with somebody about what God's done in my life, let alone about the Word of God. Come, talk to us. Grab these IVCF folks before they head out. They've got all sorts of ways. They'll show you that, what's that, napkin one that you showed us, Krista? All sorts of wonderful little tools designed to crack the ice and share the Word of God. But I encourage you to do so, church. I encourage you to do so with gentleness, mostly with love as the foundation, but with gentleness and with respect, but mostly to do so. And watch as God takes our words, the word of life placed within us, and uses them to transform the world around us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks in you, the word of life. The word, Lord, that you've given us, that Jesus is Lord. Help us to believe it in our hearts, Lord God, in our minds daily. To not forget, Lord, the power. Just as Ezekiel saw, Lord God, the magnificence of your glory, Lord God, may we get a taste of that as we come together in worship and prayer together as we experience time around the table together, Lord. May we come to know your glory and your power in a mighty, mighty way. Strengthen us, Lord, with your spirit to stand as we proclaim that Jesus is Lord to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. Help us, Lord, as a church body where those even within our congregation, Lord God, struggle with doubts and with uncertainties. May we be there for each other to listen and to love and to encourage one another in our witness. We love you, Lord. We want to see you do amazing things in this neighborhood, in your congregation, throughout this city. I thank you, Lord, for a team of people, the body of Christ at work all across this country, Lord. I thank you for these students and leaders from IVCF, Lord, here in Victoria and in Toronto and all over the world, Lord. Bless them, Lord God, in their efforts. They are efforts grounded in you, in you, Lord, in their love for you. It is a good work, Lord. Bless it, Lord Jesus, I pray. Strengthen them. Strengthen us, O oh Lord. Teach us how to share our words. Give us a love, Lord, for those who look very rebellious, Lord God, but are people who are loved dearly by you. May we love them too and reach out to them in love. We bless you, Lord, in this place. May you be glorified, O God. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.